0: I would invite you to return in your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1 is where we are today, continuing our summer in the Proverbs. We are flipping around to different Proverbs, and today we are looking at Proverbs 1, verses 8 through 19, the passage that Philip read. What a great uh, song we just sung. You know, it's one of those songs that it's so powerful when you think about it, if it's so true that we sung it and, and, and I, th- I feel like in life sometimes things come at us at lightning speed and it's good to remind ourselves that the rest will not come by vegging out in front of the TV or by, you know, whatever, just finding some, some uh, kind of earthly entertainment. But the reality is finding our hope in the comfort of Christ, that he's in control and that he's on top of everything. We can rest, have nothing to worry about. What a great song to sing. Thank you, team. Well, I would just ask you, if you wouldn't mind, just bowing your head with me as I open our time in prayer. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the privilege of singing these great songs of our dependence on Christ. I thank you for the power that uh, is in Christ alone, that power that drove you to love us, redeem us, make us your children. What hope is there, Father. I'm grateful for that. Now as we come before your word, may we humbly submit our hearts and our lives and our minds to you, that we might think like you think, act like you act, because of the righteousness that comes through Christ. And I pray this in his holy name. Amen. In 1987, there was a book published by uh, an author, a novelist, by the name of Tom Wolfe. The book is called The Bonfire of the Vanities. And that was a very popular book, and movie was made out of it, and I'm not telling you to go download it right now. (laughs) But uh, but it's a very popular book. And the point of the story was he was telling a story about New York in the 1980s and how just wretchedly pagan it was, how how kind of the... uh, the culture of money that had kind of taken over in the economic boom of the 80s and how people had all this cash and, and there was all kinds of problems in New York because you had all these rich people living for drugs and pleasure and it, it talked about you know, racism and social class issues and politics and greed and it was just this kind of wretchedness. And the point of the book was, uh, was Wolf was trying to expose the layer behind what appeared to be very successful people living in nice houses, living in, you know, driving nice cars. He's saying, you know, if you peel this back, what you find is wretchedness, just horrible wretchedness. And that was the point of the book. Very discouraging book to read. Now, the title of the book actually came from a real historical event that was given the title, The Bonfire of the Vanities. This is a historical event you may or may not know about. But in 1497, In Florence, Italy, uh, that particular town was governed by a priest, a Dominican priest. And this particular priest had noticed that all kinds of wretchedness was going on in Florence. And so he said, we are going to burn everything that could tempt you to sin. Everything that could tempt you to sin. And they put this big, huge bonfire in the middle of the city. Historians call it the bonfire of the vanities. What people were burning were mirrors, clothes, music, sheet music, all kinds of stuff. They were just putting it all in there. Anything that could tempt you to sin. The thought was, if we could burn any vice, any human vice out there, then there would be no more vice in our city. And so, Giant Bonfire of the Vanity. So, so that's where the title comes from, the historical event. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking about Wolf's book. I was thinking about this historical event. And I was thinking about the fact that, that uh, oftentimes when you think about the world and you think about the, the sin that's in the world, the pressure comes on us to kind of rid the world of sin. Right? Maybe an author says, I'm going to expose this, and then maybe people would see how horrible it is and it would, would end it. Or maybe somebody says, hey, if we just burn all the mirrors and burn all the clothes and burn all the music and burn all the books, then, boom, we'd be holy. Right? How about we all just go live in a cave somewhere and just kind of drop it off? and Then we'd be holy. And oftentimes we think that if we could do that, that if we could create kind of a, a perfect... Kind of filtered world where there's no enough. Then there would be no more sin. Of course, we know there's a problem with that, and the problem is is that you can burn all the mirrors, books, and records you want, right? You certainly can. And yet, what's the issue? Your heart. That's the issue. One of the things about the Bible, one of the things about Proverbs, is that Proverbs is constantly addressing the heart of a person. And what Proverbs says is this. Hey, out there in the world, there's all kinds of deception. Don't follow after it. Don't fall in love with it. Don't try to justify it because it's not going to do you any good. It's always telling you, don't go after it. You see, the hope that we have is that one day Jesus will return. He will set things right. There will be a purging of the world. In the meantime, while we wait for the purging, the issue is for me to be aware of my heart and for me, when it comes to my own children, raising my children, to be aware of their own hearts and for us to make sure that we help each other with our own hearts. That's the issue. And that's what Proverbs chapter 1 does. I love this chapter because right away, early on in in this chapter, we have a message right here in verse 8 from parents to their children. A message from mom and dad. And the message from mom and dad is saying, listen, beware of your heart. And we're going to see this today. Because what we're going to see is the actual focus that we should have As believers, when we're dealing with a sinful world, I cannot keep the world out. I cannot do that. I cannot bury myself in the basement of my house and and just board up all the windows and, and act as if that will keep sin. I've got to realize I am drawn to sin because of what's going on in my heart. And I want to deal with that. And the point of this chapter is we're going to see is we've got these parents that are called on to deal with this and their children. That's what we're going to see. So our outline's pretty simple. Simple. First point a message from mom and dad or dad and mom. We got a message from. Them. Second point, look both ways before you cross the street. I will explain that later. Okay. And what I want you to see is a pretty simple point. We will never rid the world of sin. We do not possess the power to do that. But the galling and the goal of life is to be aware of our own hearts and to deal with that. So let's see this here. Let's look at this message from dad and mom. Before we jump into verse 8, I want to show you something kind of cool about the way Proverbs is set up. If, if we were going through the first seven verses of Proverbs, we'd see this introduction. And it's how you would assume the book of Proverbs would, would be introduced, talking about the value of wisdom. Wisdom is the best thing in the world. You want wisdom. You need wisdom, right? He's just selling you on the fact that you need wisdom. It is so great. And if you know it, if, if it will benefit you in ways that are beyond belief. And then it says, and the way you get wisdom is you fear God. You don't fear man. You don't fear the world. You fear God. You fear God. You get wisdom. And when you get wisdom, you get a boatload of greatness. Your life is changed. That's how incredible wisdom is. And then you get to verse 8. And when you get to verse 8, you would think he would begin the process by saying, okay, I've just told you how great it is, so now let me tell you all the things that wisdom does and doesn't do. And he'd start listing the... But he doesn't do that. He doesn't start with this list of, here's what wisdom would do, here's what wisdom doesn't do. He goes right to the home. The first place he goes is right to the home. And all of a sudden, we have... A dad and a mom talking to a child and saying, now listen, son, when you go into the world, I want you to be aware of something. It gets right down to the heart of the issue, right to the family unit. It's not a list of rules. It's not a list of do's and don'ts that he goes to. The first place he goes to is he tells a child, listen to your parents a very interesting place to go of all the places he could go in proverbs and of all the topics his launching pad is the home why it's pretty obvious why the home life the the family unit is the place in which wisdom is actually to be dispensed this is the place the role of parents is to be to be, be dispensing wisdom to their children this is the heart of it this is the unit through which this is going to occur so he starts there and so we're going to follow this trend we're going to look at this advice. We're going to, and, and you might say, well, I'm not a parent. Does this apply to me? Well, you're a child, so, you know, you're either a child or a parent. or You're both. So somewhere this is going to appeal to you. Because the heart of this is true for all of us. And, he, and, and this is where we're going to see. Now, here's what he's going to see. I would say it this way. There are basically two principles being delivered here. And the principles are this. Fear God and flee evil. Fear God and flee evil. And what we're going to see now is this parent explaining this to their child. Now, let's look at verse 8 here. He says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Now, the very first word there is the word hear. Hear, my son. What does the word hear mean? We've talked about this a lot. And I'm going to recycle some old illustrations. Sorry. But I've been here 11 years. I got no new ones. Okay, so it's like you're just stuck with what I got. Sorry. Okay. So here, what does here mean? Let me give you the definition of here. We've we've defined it before. Here means this: to listen. Here's the key: to listen with the intent to obey. Okay. So so we know we know this. I'll use myself as an illustration. I can recall many times when my parents were talking to me. Having this kind of attitude like, yeah yeah, 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 let's get through this. Okay? Yeah, let's get through this. And you're just kind of waiting for them to stop talking. Okay? I've had that. Okay? I can recall being that way. Now, you see, that's not hearing. That's not what the word hear means. Hear does not mean listening until they're done talking so you can start talking. Okay? What he's saying is, son... Listen to me with the intent to obey me. Now, here's the illustration I've used before. Picture that you're in an airplane, you know, jet, you know, up in the sky, 35,000 feet, flying 500 miles an hour, and the flight attendant comes to you and says, "Uh, could you come up front for a moment? We have a problem. And you go up front, and they say, "Uh, both the pilot and the co-pilot are incapacitated. Neither one of them can fly the plane. We need you to fly it. You're like, what? Are you kidding me? I can't fly an airplane. No, nope, am sorry, it's you. We've chosen you. And so now you're in the cockpit. And you got, you've seen a cockpit, right? I mean, it's just knobs. Every, it makes sense to Mike Giuliano, and that's it, right? There's just knobs everywhere. You know, gauges everywhere. It's overwhelming. It's just, and you're sitting there looking at this thing, and then in your headphone, you know, John Giuliano, the flight, or the tower guy says, don't worry, these things practically land themselves. You got nothing to worry about. I'll tell you what to do. Okay, right? So now, he says, now, above your head is a red button. Press it. What would you do? I know what you would do. You would go, okay, I see the red button. It's right next to the blue one. Is that the one I'm supposed to press? Right? Isn't that what you would do? Okay, yes, press it now. Okay, what does it say above the red button? (laughs) I want to make sure I have the right red button. Listen, there's only one. I know there's only one, but I want to make sure it's the right one, right? You'd be listening with the intent to obey. That's what the word hear in the Old Testament. When you read it, hear, it always means that. Like you're aggressively listening. Let me add this piece to it to help it make sense to you. You're eagerly wanting to understand what is being said to you. You're eagerly wanting to understand. What is said to you. If you were in the airplane and the flight attendant or the, the tower person is telling you, press the button, I guarantee you would be hesitant. You would be listening. You'd be making sure you got all the facts right before you acted. So he says, Hear, my son. Now notice what he's to hear. Hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. In one sense, there's kind of a uh, A redundancy there, instruction and teaching, but there's a little nuance there. I'll give you the nuance. Instruction means listen to your father as he's trying to explain to you how it all works. Your father's coming along and saying, I'm going to explain to you life. I'm going to explain to you the way this works. I want to unpack this for you so that you would understand it. It does not say, hear your father shouting. Right? Right? It does not say hear your father barking orders at you, right? Father's, the call of this passage is to be an instructor, to be an explainer, to unpack it. Now, we know there's a challenge there as a dad, isn't there? There's a challenge there because of time, because of your own emotions, because of your own schedule, the hecticness of, of life. Generally, when instruction is needed, it means something's going wrong, right? And, so, and you don't want to deal with it because you've had all kinds of problems at work, and then you come home, and it's easier just to go, stop it! right? It's easier to do that than to say, let's talk about why you're fighting right now, right? You don't want to do that, especially because your kids don't want to hear it, right? So they're, "Uh," right? And you're trying to explain it, "Uh," right? That's what goes on. It's the cycle. It's tough, but he says, listen, fathers, instruct. Hear the instructions. We're explaining this to you, because I want you to understand the role here and the father's role. I'm, my job is to explain life to you so you would get it and it would make sense. Hear are these instructions. And then we have the mom. And don't forsake her teaching. Okay? So, so listen to the way your father's explaining it and then don't walk away from your mom's teaching. Teaching means this. We're now bringing it out in real life. I'm helping you kind of flesh this out in your day-to-day. This is what this is going to look like when it comes to your bedroom. This is what it's going to look like when it comes to your schoolwork. This is what it's going to look like when it comes to going outside and riding your bike or whatever it is. This is what it's going to look like. Okay, so we're explaining this. And so now he's saying, listen, do not forsake the parental role of what's going on in your, in your life. Now, what happens to a child at that moment is that why, or I should say this way, why is verse 8 here? Verse 8 is here because fundamentally the child believes that their 17 or 18 years of experience way outweighs your 40, right? Like, you have no idea what it was like to grow up in my 18 years. You know, it's like, it's like dog years for me, right? I, like, every year for me was like seven, so you take 18 times 7. Steve going will tell me what that number is. 18 times 7. That's how old I am in experience, even though you might be 43 or 47, mom or dad. You might have me, right? That's the child's worldview. And so this is here saying, stop that. Stop that, child. In fact, I want to tell you how profitable it will be for you to listen. Look at verse 9. I'm surprised, by the way, there haven't been more amens from some of the parents during the sermon. He says, you've been very quiet. Maybe that's self-restraint. That's good. Okay. Verse (laughs) 9. For they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Now, if you're in high school and you're right now in this room and you're listening to this, you're going, well, I don't really want to wear that, right? Garland on my head? It's like I'm an angel in a play, you know? It's like, you know, who wants to wear that, right? So what does that mean, garland and a pendant, right? Who wants to wear garland on their head and wear a big pendant around their neck? What does that mean? Here's what it means. Those were two signs of success. And the simple reality is he's saying, listen, if you actually listen to the instruction and you actually listen to the teaching that's going on in your home, that will bring you more success and bring you further along in life than if you blow it off. If you blow it off, you will not be as far. There is more value in what your parents have to tell you if they're instructing and teaching you there's more value there than there will be to blowing it off. If you were reading this in that culture, you know, that would have been the equivalence of, of saying, hey, listen, there is a boatload of life will go so much easier for you if you listen to them than if you ignore it. That's what he's saying. Now, here is the lesson. Verse 10 very simple. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. It's very simple. What's the point? The point is this, my son, you're going to go out into the world and out there in the world are going to be people who are going to try to sway you into living a life that does not fear God, into living a life that is opposed to God. And when you get swayed into that world... When you get pulled into that world, it will destroy you, as we're going to see in a minute. But the deception is out there. And the deception to please those kind of people, and the deception to to want to be accepted by them, and to violate everything that you know is right, is there. It's there. And you'll want to please those people over doing what is right. You'll want to do that. And you'll want to violate everything that you know and everything that you've been raised with. They're going to entice you, and it's a seductive enticement when you're a young person. It's seductive, very seductive. I remember when I was, I shared this with the, the team that's going to check last week, this story. I'll share with you guys. When I was in high school, uh, I was, I struggled because I loved being the class clown, I loved telling the jokes. I loved kind of being that person in the quietness of the room to try to say something to even make the teacher laugh. That was, that was my goal. And it was a seductive thing for me. And, and to be the person that was the funniest guy in the room was a passion for me. Now, I'm in high school. I think sophomore, somewhere in there. Public high school. And, uh, but at, at my church... Our youth leaders quit, so we had no youth group, so I decided I was going to take over the youth group. So I called all the youth. I said, listen, I'll lead it. I'll teach. Right? So kids started coming, and I took over the youth group. That was one little quadrant of my life, little box over there. Steve, you know, aggressive youth for the youth group. Then there was Steve in high school, two separate Steves. The Steve in high school was seduced by making people laugh. We had a big high school, 3,000 kids, something around there, and a uh, big lunchroom. But you could always tell who the new kids were in the lunchroom just because you're kids, right? And you know. And there was a new girl who was kind of attractive. And so all the guys were kind of hanging around trying to figure out where they were going to go talk to her. And, and so I decide, no one's talked to her? I'm going to jump into this thing and make it about me. So I walk in. I sit down. I introduce myself to her. And then I propose to her. I ask her to marry me. And, uh, right? and I said, will you marry me? She's like, what? And I said, you don't understand. I don't even know what I said. Right? It's a long time ago. And she, of course, humiliated her. her. face is red. Then I stand up on the table and I begin to sing to her. And, uh, and, and I start making up this dumb song. And the kids are laughing. And, I get, and I'm trying to dance. With her. It was bad. All bad, right? And I humiliated this poor girl. Humiliated her. Okay. That evening, worlds collided. I'm leading the youth group. Guess who comes? The new girl. I can't even teach. I'm like, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, everything I did was so bad. It was so bad. And I couldn't see how compartmentalized my world's world until she came into that world. And like I told her, we're just playing games. And I hid. Like I was a coward. I just hid from her. It was just bad. Why was it bad? Because you see, the seduction of popularity like pulled me in and I had to be the class con and I I wasn't thinking of her and I had no care for other people, only for myself. And you know what? I had no idea that's how seduced I was. That's how much it had owned me and pulled me in. No idea. Until that moment when the worlds collided. He says, son... When these sinners entice you, right? It just pulls you in and you don't even know it. You can have no clue that you're being seduced by the world. Now, notice the description he has of this seduction. And, and Matt referenced this, how you know barbaric this is. Listen to this. But we'll unpack it here. Verse 11. If they say, come with us, <clears throat> let us lie and wait for blood... Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. What's he saying? He's saying, okay, you got these friends. Now, this, you know, like, if Andrew had friends like this, I'd freak out, right? You know, like, you know, like, come on, let's wait and kill people and steal their money, which is what that, that's saying, right? It's pretty obvious what he's saying. But what he's really getting at, and I think this was something that Matt pointed out during our music time, was that, that in that culture, of course, that was one option of making money. You know, you know, stealing from people and beating them up. And that was a huge part of the culture. I mean, the roads at night were very dangerous because robbery was one of the ways of getting gain. It was just a barbaric way, and that was part of the pull. But if we kind of drill, drive that down a little bit, drill it down a little bit more into, into the heart, what is the essence of what they're saying there? What they're saying here is this. Come, let's go after the things that God has not provided for us. Right? Let's go after these things that God has not given to us. Let's get pulled into a world where you can get all the things that God hasn't given you. That is the enticement of it all. How would that look, maybe, in our culture? Well, I think it's seen in several different heart issues. Let me kind of give you a list of them here. This is seen in lust. What is lust? Lust is wanting a person whom God hasn't given you. That's what lust is. It's seen in greed, desiring things God hasn't given you. That he hasn't provided for you. This is seen in jealousy, becoming angry with people who have what God hasn't given you. It's seen in stealing, taking things that God hasn't given you. And it's seen in pride, seeking honor that God has not bestowed upon you. Right? There's your list. I mean, that's that's the that's the enticement. That's the enticement of the world for all of us, whether you're a a, a young person in this room or whether you're 50, it doesn't really matter. This is the pull that's going on. This is the enticement of the world. Come look at this woman. Or, or you know, desire her because your wife isn't that way. Come, you know, you know, kind of mess with your your, your expense report a little bit. Put a little list, a little bit of there. You take what hasn't been given to you. Be greedy. Be jealous, be angry. I can't believe them. It's no fair. They you know, if they had the life I had, they would never know, right? You get jealous, right? If they had the parents I the only reason why they're in the state there is because their parents were rich, right? Jealousy. God, you haven't given me everything they have. Right? That kind of stuff. Literally stealing. People steal from their employers, people steal all the time. Or pride. Right? My issue. Jumping on a table. I want honor and glory. I want everybody to say, Steve, you're a funny kid. At the expense of other people. Pride, that kind of stuff. That's the enticement. See, the enticement of the world saying, don't go there. Don't be enticed by this. When people come and they offer you all of this stuff to get what God hasn't given you, don't take it. That's the message from mom and dad. Now, second thing we're going to see here, our second point. Look both ways before you cross the street. Why am I saying this? What does that mean? This is just taken more from my own personal life. Uh, uh, Where I grew up was walking distance from this little general store and uh, my brothers, I'm the youngest of five, so oftentimes my brothers and sisters would take me to a walk to the store and uh, we take this walk to the store And before we'd leave the house, like if I was, let's say, five years old and my 12-year-old brother's taking me to the store, my mom, I've shared this with you before, my mom would say three things to us every time we walked out the door. Look both ways before you cross the street, don't talk to strangers, and the last one, don't take any wooden nickels, a depression saying because they used to have these coupons that were wooden coins anyways. So basically saying, obviously look both ways before you cross the street, right? Don't get hurt by strangers, and don't get ripped off. That's what the third one means, don't get ripped off. Every time we left the house, that's what she said. It was like this repetitive warning because those were the three great dangers that we always faced every time we walked out of the house. Getting hit by a car, getting stolen by stranger danger, and getting ripped off by somebody. Right? Those were the three threats that faced us. Going to walk outside the house, want to make sure. Well, that's why I call this look both ways before you cross the street. He's now going to go in and he's going to remind them of the simple reality of life. Child, when you go off into the world, remember some important things. Here they are. Verse 15, my son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. What's he getting at? He's getting at the one simple deception that comes to all of us. Here's the simple deception for every person out there. This is for all of us, whether you're 5 or whether you're 50 doesn't matter here's this deception deception is this that you somehow have the ability to get as close to sin as you can possibly get and not be touched by it that you can handle it that you have the capacity to handle it we'll pick on the young people but young people you can say well you know you probably shouldn't go there oh come on it's not a big deal come on it's really not that big of a deal come on i hear worse things walking through walmart right Come on, right? right? That's that's the issue. And the point is this. Come on, I can handle it. It's not the way God designed you. (laughs) Come on, God said flee, right? That's the issue. Get away from it. When you start playing around it, it's not a good thing. So notice the, notice again, pick up the, the verse there. He says, Don't walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their path. Don't actually get on the road and say, I want to show people that Christians can be cool and have fun just like everyone else. It's not what you've been designed. Just stay away. Now, some of you who are arguing with me in your head are going, what about evangelism? A few of you are thinking that. What about evangelism? What about sharing the gospel? What about being a testimony? That's not what this passage is about. This passage is about what your heart loves. What your heart loves. And so we don't want to bring the conversation of evangelism into this before we first deal with the issue of what your heart loves. Because if your heart is truly in love with Christ, and you would ever say, I don't ever even want to be, uh, in one sense, find my joy in the things that God hates then you are fully prepared to share the gospel everywhere all the time. And so we have to address the issue of making sure your heart doesn't fall in love with the things that God hates because then you cease to be an influence. You cease to actually be gospel, right? Because we never want to use evangelism as kind of a, a hidden agenda to actually fall in love with the things that God hates. When you love Christ and you live for him, you will be an evangelist. And you will share Christ boldly in the darkest places. Boldly you will. No question about it if you love Jesus that much. How could you be in love with Jesus that much and hold it back? You're really not loving him. And if you're loving him, you're where he is. And he's shining his light in dark places. But if you don't love Jesus, you say, I'm sharing the gospel, but really I'm falling in love with the world, you're not sharing the gospel. Okay, so there's, there's the issue. So we're just talking about what your heart loves. And he's saying, son, I want you to fall in love with this world. And I want you to fall in love with these, this, this kind of situation because I want you to see how dangerous it is. So look at verse 16. He unpacks how dangerous it is. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood they set an ambush for their own lives. He says, you see, here's the thing. They're out there running after evil. They're they're, they're in love with the things that God hates. And they're real quick to go after this. But you know how foolish they are? It's kind of like somebody who's trying to set a trap for an animal, for a bird, right in front of the bird, right? Hey, look, there, there's a bird in our yard. Why don't we go run after it and try to throw a blanket over it? Right? How, how crazy would that be? If you run around your yard, bird flies away. Okay, wait for the next one. Let's run after it, throw the bird, right? You'd be going, What are you doing? You're never going to catch a bird that way. Just, that's the folly of the world. People who try to seek the things that God hasn't given to them, they're like people trying to throw a blanket on a bird in the middle of the day. It's vain. But in the end, what happens? Verse 18, they lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. In the end, it's their own destruction that they will end up finding. Does that mean on this life, the life to come? I think it's both. I think you find people who, who live for the things that God hates and you find them at the end of their life Embittered, imprisoned to fear, imprisoned to worry, imprisoned by their own greed, imprisoned by all of this stuff. And then in the end, what do they have on the other side of this life but horrible wretchedness? There's no good end. Why would you start to love what they love? Son, don't do that. Their evil will catch up with them. So, verse 19 sums it up. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. That's the end for everyone who's after unjust gain. It takes away the life of the possessor. Now, I'm just picturing this dad having this conversation saying, guys, I'm not just telling you that like, you're going to go to jail. What I'm saying is this lifestyle sucks the life out of you. It drains you of everything, let alone what's going to happen when you face God. As you're starting out in life, the key to starting out in life is to fear God and flee evil. That's the path of life. But when we go after unjust gain, we go after the things God hasn't given us. We reject the things He has given us. It takes away your life, son. See, this is where this Proverbs, where the Book of Proverbs begins, with its instructions. It gets right down to the very heart, fearing God, fleeing evil. I like to say it this way, learning to love what God loves and hate what God hates. Cultivating that in your heart. That's the issue right there. Now he says, son, if you listen to that, it will be incredible for your life. And if you reject it, you're going to squeeze your life right out of you. There's no gain there. There's no gain. So, let's wrap this up. What do we do with this passage? How do we land this here? There's four things I'd like to just kind of point out to you, just to kind of help you structure how to to think about this passage. The first one is this. If we are to fear God, then we shouldn't love what God hates and walk with people who hate God. Now, that's dealing with your heart. We're not talking about evangelism here. We're not talking about uh, engaging our community with the gospel. We're dealing with your heart, and what does your heart love? What does your heart love? That's the real heart of the question. We want to fear God in that way. Second thing I want to pull from this, second principle. This is for the parents in the room. Parents, you're to cultivate this message teach and instruct your children in this message right this is really the the essence of parenting is sitting down and explaining to our children the way God designed this world and understand that that, that their affections they can fall in love with the wrong person they can fall in love with the wrong things they can fall in love with the wrong way of life and they might come back to say but dad I love them yes you do You allowed your affections to be for something that God hates. See, we want to deal with that. We want to cultivate the affections of our children, not just uh, static outside stuff. What is going on in your heart? And let's not fool ourselves to think we might have blocked it out by controlling TV and Internet and things like that, but they're bringing a sinful heart into the world. And we want to deal with that. Third, third, The way of the rebel is the way of destruction. And to walk in this way is to guarantee your own destruction. Simple point, but it's the point, it's the lesson of the passage. And fourthly, I believe that this sets the stage for our heart. Matt referenced this a little bit ago. Because of the fact that we're enticed through the sin that we have, we've got to start dealing with our own heart. Why? Why did I stand up on the table and do that absolutely horrendous thing to that girl who, did, who deserved better than that? Why? Because in my heart, I had pride. And I wanted to be seen as funny and entertaining and the center of the room. That's what I wanted. And I didn't care who I hurt in that process. I didn't care who I embarrassed and humiliated in that process. You see, the issue wasn't the fact that my parents put me in the school. The issue is that's where my heart was. That's where my heart was. I brought that heart wherever I went. That's what I brought. And I got to deal with that heart. God dealt with it directly with a two-by-four, which I'm glad he did. And so what we've got to do is bring our heart before God. God, change my heart. What's the prayer for the parents God, work with my children's heart. God, give me wisdom to to be able to shape and to, to help them to see where their heart is leading them astray right now. The heart of a young person to realize you are bringing a sinful heart that can be easily enticed. Embrace that now and say, okay, God, change my heart. Cultivate in my heart a love for the things that you love. And maybe a simple application point for you On this point is this, as we're praying it through, saying, God, help me to evaluate every decision by saying, will this help me cultivate a love for the things that you love? Will it cultivate that? Change my heart, Jesus. Give me your righteousness and cultivate within me decisions now that would build up my love for you and others instead of detract from it. So that's the challenge. That's the seduction that's in the world. But the key and the answer, as in all the Proverbs... Always coming back to the condition of our hearts. So, why don't we pray right now together and just pray that Jesus would, through the power of His Spirit, change our hearts, give us a love for what He loves, and and courage to act on it. So, just join me in prayer. Father, I'm grateful for this passage. I see my own sin and folly. I've seen in my own life where I was enticed to do really sinful things and I've hurt others in that process I did things that were wrong my own sin and my own greed drove me to to following after being enticed by others so Lord I need my heart to be governed and owned by you I need your spirit to empower me Lord may may we not resist the leading of your spirit I pray for the young people in this room Lord, may they hear this message. May they realize that bringing into this world a heart that is enticed can be enticed. So may they say, Jesus, deal with my heart. May you begin to work on it now. Pray for the parents in this room that they would begin to actually instruct the hearts of their children. May we do it better, Lord, so that we can shepherd them and help them to see the importance of cultivating a love for you and a love for the things that you love. Thank you for this passage, God. May it do its work in our lives. In Christ's name, amen.